Thank you for choosing this podcast. It's our pleasure to share with you the word of the Lord. Proverbs 23.12 says, Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Join us as Pastor Jim Bunch shares God's word with the people at Christian Outreach Center in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This morning, if you would, I know you've been standing. Would you stand one more time for the reading of the word? Turn to Matthew chapter 4, please. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward... A hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him into the holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou should dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Father, we just ask now this morning, your word is anointed, your word is blessed, but now open the ears of our understanding and and open our hearts to receive what you would say unto us this morning. Father, it's not about a man, it's not about a it's not about a sermon, it's about a it's about a Savior who hung on a cross. So, Lord God, this morning, let us hear what Jesus would say to us, and let us be obedient to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. And you can be seated. You know, this is a, a new year. And every year people make New Year's resolutions of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And within a month, we've not done half of what we said we were going to do. And so I... A lot of people, a lot of Christians make a resolution. They're going to read the Bible through in a year. And so they jump into Genesis and they start reading. They don't remember what they read, but they read it. So I made a promise to the Lord that I was going to read with understanding. So I started in Matthew chapter 1 and it's 17 days and I'm up to chapter 4. So I I promised the Lord that I was going to read this through and study it and understand what he was trying to say to me instead of just read it. And so this week he's really been burdening my heart about this new year 
and new temptations. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I know you've heard many a sermon on the temptation of Jesus, but maybe I can present it to you in a little bit different way. You know, here's a man who had just came out of the Jordan River and he was just baptized and a voice from heaven affirms him to be his son. He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He had God's stamp of approval as he began his ministry. And from that point on, the word says that the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Mark's version says it drove him. You know, and you look at those two words, they're a little bit different. You take a child and you lead them by the hand and they come submissively. But when you're driven, there's an urging there. It's like you know you just got to go. And so whether he was led, we know he was submissive. But I believe that that spirit that Mark says that he was, he was driven. He knew that he had to get away. He was getting ready to go into a phase of his life and he needed the power and the anointing of God. Even though he had his affirmation, he needed that anointing. And so the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. And as he, as he led him into the wilderness, I don't know if you do this, I do this sometimes. I look at words in the Bible and I say, is that really what they mean? Because, you know, you've got a translator whether it's the NIV or the King James. So I went back and I looked. The term that's used for the devil, there's three different terms here. The one in verse 1 is Diablos, and everybody knows that. That's the devil. That's the, the uh, false accuser. In verse 3, he's called the tempter. And in verse 10, he's called Satanos, the accuser. So it doesn't matter what you call him, he's still out to destroy Here's Jesus affirmed by God in front of the crowds at the Jordan River. He's, he's, he's getting ready to enter into his ministry. And then the Spirit takes him into the wilderness for a season. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been in some of those wilderness experiences. And they're difficult. Here it says 40 days and 40 nights. And you know what? Almost every time when the Lord puts you in the wilderness, there's something great that's going to come because of it. There's something great. When Moses was driven into the wilderness to become a sheep herder for 40 years, there was something great that was going to happen later. When Elijah was driven into the wilderness and he had to fast for 40 days, there was something great that was going to happen at the end of it. And here we see Jesus, when he's getting ready to enter into his ministry, something great is getting ready to happen. So as we enter into this new year, be comforted in the word that it doesn't matter what you're, where you're at. God's got a plan. And when it's over, He's going to bring greatness into your life. He's going to bring greatness. He's going to bring greatness into our life. And these temptations are going to come. They can be found anywhere. You know, He could have tempted Jesus as a young boy. But He didn't mess with Jesus from, from, young, from His youth up until about age 30. The devil really didn't focus on Jesus too much. But they... 
these temptations can come in a crowd. They can come when you're in a private place by yourself. And here we see Jesus. He's all alone. Why? Why did he have to be tempted? I think there's some answers there that that will give us some consolation this morning. Number one, Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a high priest who went through everything that we did, but he sinned not. So Jesus had to go through this temptation so that he could relate to us. You know, it's hard to tell somebody, I know what you're going through. I know the feelings. I know the anxiety. I know this. I know that. When you've not been through it. But we've got a Savior who stood face to face with the devil. He stood face to face with temptation. And he said, I overcome it. You can too. And he wants us to understand this new year. There's going to be new challenges. And there's going to be new temptations. But he's telling us that we have a high priest this morning. That he's our Savior. And he not only redeemed us, he can relate to us. He knows our anxieties. He knows our fears, our concerns, our worries. He said, I've been there and I've done that. And I made it through and you can too. And he said, when you can't, I'll take you by the hand and I'll lead you. So he wants us to know this morning that even in this temptation... He had to go through it for us. Not for Him. He was just affirmed to be the Son of God. God had just put His stamp of approval on Jesus. He didn't have to go out there to prove anything to anybody. It was already proven. He did it for us. And He did it to show. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says that He was the spotless Lamb. And He redeemed us by His own blood. He had to go through the temptation and show that he could overcome it so that he could be the spotless lamb, so that he could redeem us. So he did it for us so that he could redeem us. He did it for us so that he could say, I can relate to you. I've been there and I'll help you through it. He wants us to know this morning that he understands what Adam and Eve went through in the garden. To be all by yourself. And have the devil show up and say, look what I've got. And folks, you don't have to be a scholar or theologian to understand the devil is only going to offer you what you're weakest at. He's going to only offer you what you desire. You know, if you don't drink, if you've never drank alcohol, he's not going to offer you any alcohol. If that's not what makes you weak. So, here we see Jesus. And I think another reason that he went through the temptation was to prepare us, or to prepare him for what was ahead. He knew that when he came out of the wilderness, that he was going to face a lot more things worse than what he was at now. And I think that God uses the wilderness to prepare us sometimes. Not necessarily, uh, not just to refine us. I seen a little quote the other day that said, Temptation is God's magnifying glass to see what we're made out of. That may be true, I don't know. But I think that God prepares us sometimes to uh, 
not for solitude like uh, some of the, you see people in the monasteries withdraw themselves. But I think he prepares us for community. Because immediately after Jesus came out of the wilderness, he went into full-time ministry. He began his kingdom work. So we see these temptations and this devil that comes along. You know, he can be, he can be anywhere, anytime, any place. He, uh, he always waits for the right opportunity. He's not going to tempt you when you're strong. He's going to wait till you're weak. He didn't hit Jesus when he, the first day he went into the wilderness. He waited 40 days. He waited until Jesus was weary physically and spiritually and emotionally. He hadn't talked to anybody. He hadn't eaten anything. He hadn't done anything except commune with the Father. And now the devil shows up and he says, Jesus, if you're who you say you are, the devil picks the right time to hit us with temptation. Think about that for a moment. When you stumbled and you fell, he knows the right time to trip you up. Whatever it is, it may not be a sin of the flesh. You know, sometimes people don't know how to control their tongues. And sometimes you sin or you're tempted to say things you shouldn't say with your mouth. And you get into a conversation and all of a sudden this, this thought rises up and you want to say it. And you know you shouldn't. Like the other day, I don't know, it's all over TV. You heard about the guy who was condemning Haiti. Said it was a curse from God and a pact from the devil and all this. There's some things you just shouldn't ought to say. And that's a temptation that we have to learn to overcome. Whether it's a sin of the flesh, a, t a sin of our mouth, or even sins of, the, of our thought process. We need to learn where we're weak and learn how to reinforce that area. We have to focus on it. So Jesus, He looks at the devil and He says, Man doesn't live by bread alone. One thing I notice about this, one thing that gets us in trouble is that we want to talk to the devil. We want to argue or we want to, we want to justify our temptation or our, our, our gratification. We want to give excuses. The devil comes to Jesus and he says, if you're the son of God... He knew he was the Son of God. God had just affirmed him at the Jordan River. He didn't, he didn't say, uh, well, are you sure you're the Son of God? He says, prove it. I was at the river. I heard God's voice. Yeah, he said you're the Son, but I'm not so sure. If you're really the Son of God, do this. You know, he does it to us. And I found it peculiar, or at least to me, that he uses bread, not just because of the physical hunger, but he uses the bread, I think, as a way to, again, affirm who Jesus is. In Micah... The word prophesies that Jesus is going to be born 
in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is house of bread. In Luke chapter 2, it says that when Jesus was born, they laid him in a manger, which is what? A feed trough. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He that eateth of me will never die. So I don't think it's a a coincidence that the devil hit him with this miracle of turning stones to bread. I think it was ordained of God. The devil thought he was doing something, but what he was really was doing was playing right into the hands of God. And Jesus just says, man does not live by bread alone, Satan. And he didn't get into a discussion with him. And he didn't get into a conversation of why he shouldn't turn the stones to bread. He didn't get into a conversation of why he was the Son of God. He just said, Satan, shut up. You know, we don't need to be nice to the devil when temptation comes. You know, if you know you're going to say something, just say, excuse me, I need to go. You know, you know if you're weak in an area, you need to get a... Make yourself a habit to prevent that from happening. So Jesus is here and he tells Satan, he says, no. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's making a suggestion that God is leaving something out. This whole temptation process really is about our faith. Do we have faith in God? God said He was the Son of God. But does Christ have the faith to believe that He's the Son of God? Does Christ have the faith to operate uh, in the realm of divinity that the Father has blessed Him with? The same thing was true in the Garden of Eden. When Eve came to the garden, the serpent came to her and he says, Has God not said you should not eat of all the trees? Eve's mistake was she started talking to him. She should have walked off. I mean, there's nothing we can do about that. But Eve turns right around and says, No, 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 no. That's not what God said. God said we can eat of every tree except that one. And that opened the door for the devil to start again. Why? What's going to happen? Well, God said we'd die. Ah, you're not going to die? So this conversation takes place. Eve falls. Adam falls. And you know the rest of the story. We don't need to get into a dialogue with the devil when temptation comes. When temptation comes, don't stand there or think about what you're going to do or how you're going to do it. Separate yourself from the circumstances at that moment. At that moment. Don't think about it. Eve should have walked away. She didn't. Jesus refused to to have dialogue with him. He says, no, devil. The word says, I don't need bread to survive. And you know, I think what he's trying to say to us this morning, especially in America, you see the, the, the devastation that's going on in Haiti, and there's poverty all over the world. But I think, especially in America, one of our temptations that we need to overcome this year is we need to overcome the, the, the desire for gluttony. We eat too much. And you said, where'd that come from? 
Let me tell you. He wants us to depend on the flesh. The devil does. You're tired, Jesus. If you really are God, turn these stones to bread. Satisfy that hunger. And it's not really about the hunger. It's trying to get Jesus' eyes off of divinity, off the eternal, back onto the carnal. Our temptations are trying to tell us God has left something out in our life and we need to satisfy it to be made whole. When in reality, Jesus is saying, it's not about the flesh, it's about the spirit. We need to get away from the the carnal and get back to the spiritual man. That's why I say that one of our biggest problems is eating. We're out to satisfy the flesh. And Jesus says, no, it's not going to happen. He said, I'm not going to fall for that trick. The devil doesn't know it. But later on, Jesus tells the Pharisees that if these people don't praise me, the stones will cry out. Why does he need bread when he can get praise to come from them stones? Later on, we see on the hillside where he takes a little boy's lunch and feeds 5,000 people with plenty of bread. And you know, over and over, he tells them, uh, he tells the priest, he says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. It's not about the stones. It's not about the bread. It's all about the spiritual struggle that the devil's trying to get Jesus to succumb to. And that's what it is for us. Whether we're tempted not to read our Bible, or we're tempted not to pray, or we're tempted to eat too much, or watch too much TV, or whatever the temptation is, what it's really doing is he's saying that you need to satisfy flesh Jesus knew who fed Elijah for 40 days by the brook Jesus knew who takes care of the sparrows and he knew who was going to take care of him and he says it's not about the bread it's all about the spirit Satan he said I don't live by bread alone You know, he, the devil's smart. He's real smart. And he wants to challenge us with temptations. And the biggest way to get us to fall for a temptation is when we get into conversation with him. I just can't say that enough this morning. We need to understand that This body is spiritual. We say body, soul, spirit. Why do we say it that way? We put the flesh first, the soul second, and the spirit's the last. It ought to be spirit, body, and soul. The carnal man ought to be the last person we talk to. The spirit man should be the one that rises up within us and takes authority. If the spirit man's in charge then we don't have to converse with the devil. We don't have to struggle with a lot of temptations that we do from day to day. And so I I prepared this for me and I studied it and I studied it. And then when they asked me to come and speak, I thought, what better message for a new year than how to get spirit man back up where he belongs? Because 
Ecclesiastes, I think, uh, chapter 12, says the Spirit returns to, the, to God who created it. And so, we have an eternal destination whether we like it or not. We're going ha- to wake up somewhere someday. You know, this morning I got a phone call at home just before we left the house. They found my nephew last night. He died in his sleep. 30 years old. Just a month before, his stepfather died in his sleep. You know, so my sisters had two deaths in a, in a month and a half. And you know, that's, that's sad. That's grievous. But they were Christians, and so they're home with the Lord. But we've got to get over this idea that it's all about the body. It's not about the body. This body is just a vessel. It just holds a spirit that belongs to God, and one day He's going to call it back. And unfortunately, we're going to have to give an accounting. As Christians, we're going to stand before the Bema seat. And God help us if we're not Christians, because then we stand before the great white throne. But either way, we're going to give an accounting in one place or the other of what we did while we were on this earth. So temptation is the biggest devil that we have to fight with on this earth. If we can learn how to overcome temptation, the spirit man will rise up. We won't be tempted to be lazy in our reading, lazy in our prayer, lazy in our church going, lazy in all the other things that we do. We won't be uh, tempted to, to satisfy the flesh with other things what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in our life. When we overcome temptation, our year goes a lot better. And so, he tells Satan, he says, it's not about the flesh. It's all about the Spirit. And then the second temptation, he took him up and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. If you're the son of God, jump. And when I read that, I've read that, I guess I've been in church all my life that I've read this story a thousand times. It really became revelation to me the other day. In America, even in, in, in my life at times past, I went to church to see a show. They had a special speaker, a special event. Something special was going on. And in America now, we look around, we see these churches who are putting on events to get people to come in. And there's nothing wrong with outreach and there's nothing wrong with ministry when it's done for the right reason. But here I see the devil taking Jesus up to the pinnacle of the church and say, put on a show. Why didn't he take him out to the wilderness and cast him off a cliff? He took him to the center of town. He took him to the pinnacle of the church where the religious people were, where the priests were, where people could see him. And he said, jump. Let people know who you are. When you hit the ground and you don't die, people are going to know that you're the Son of God. Put on a show. You know, we need to get off of this emotional roller coaster we're on as Christians. When we come to church, or when we get in our prayer closet at home, we need to put aside the flesh 
And quit trying to put on a show for God. He's done seen it all anyway. We need to get serious and humble before God. Because he says there, he quotes Psalms 91. He says, his angels will give charge of you. But he leaves out a critical part of that scripture. Psalm says, in all thy ways. But the devil doesn't say that. So what's the psalmist mean? If we are walking in the will and the way of God, if we're doing what he's called us to do, if we're obedient, if we're, uh, if we're our, our yielding to the spirit and not the flesh, then when temptation comes, he will protect us. When the devil comes, he will protect us. But the devil says, he said he'd give his angels charge of you jump. That wasn't God's way. It wasn't his will. It wasn't his plan. And for Jesus to do that would put him out of the will of the Father. When we yield to temptation, we can't expect God to protect us because we're not in his will. He said he'd protect us in all thy ways. What are our ways? Our ways are to be in the center of His will and to do what He's asked us to do and to go where He asked us to go. And when we get out of the will of God and we go out and we do something we shouldn't ought to do, then we cry out and we say, God, help me. He can't. We're out of the will. So He wants us to understand this morning that this first temptation focuses on our natural appetite, our own carnal man, our own desires. And this second temptation, uh, you know, it's not so much focused on carnal appetite, but it's on power. It's the Spirit. Maybe it's the sin of ambition he's trying to put Jesus through. You know, I don't know. The Bible doesn't clarify Put on a show so people will know who you are. If you're the Son of God, jump. Man, there's not a high priest in Jerusalem or Israel that would, would not bow down to you if you can pull that stun off and everybody sees it. But Jesus says, I have ambitions just like everybody else, but they're not those ambitions. You know, the Word says, without a vision, the people perish. We have to have goals. We have to have dreams. We have to have ambition and desires. But they have to be dreams and visions and goals that line up with the Word of God and they're motivated by the Holy Spirit. They're not motivated by flesh. And we see a lot of people that are motivated by flesh. Brother Chuck and I was talking this morning. A lot of people in church are motivated by flesh. When it comes to spirit or flesh, sacrifice or success, most of the time they'll take the success. They're not willing to take the sacrifice. You know, and here Jesus says, I've got ambitions just like everybody else. But my ambitions line up with the Word of God. My ambitions line up with the will of the Father. You know, second, uh, what is it, First Corinthians, I think it says the Jews require a sign. Show who you are so they'll know you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, no, I don't have to do that. 
I do not have to do that to prove who I say I am. You know, we see that people today test God as well. They take Mark chapter 16 and says, if you take up the serpent, it won't hurt you. If you drink any poison, it won't hurt you. We've got people who handle rattlesnakes. And you know, I'm not going to, we won't go there this morning. But, uh, and I don't have any. So I'm not going to present an example. But you know, we tempt God sometimes. We say we're laying out a fleece like Gideon. But what we're really doing is saying, if you're who you say you are, God, meet my need. And that's what the devil was doing to Jesus. If you are who you say you are, God will meet your need. So, he uses the scripture again, that shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And the last temptation is just an outright open attack against God himself. He showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, they're mine. And they were. According to scripture, when he was cast down, he owns this earth for a season. He had the authority to give, offer Jesus these kingdoms. He says, all I want is for you to bow down and worship me. This goes back Millions of years, I guess. If you go back and you look at Ezekiel, it talks about Lucifer. He was on the throne in heaven, and he was God's praise and worship leader. The Bible says that he was covered in diamonds and precious stones, and every, he had pipe organs in his body, and every time he moved, praise and worship came out to God. The Word says in Ezekiel that he walked on the holy fire of stones there in, the, in, in heaven with God himself. And he got tired of it. And he said, why should I give him all the glory? When I, when I, when as much music as I make and as beautiful as I am, I, I deserve to be in charge up here. And that's what the word says. The sin of pride took him. And he said, I will ascend unto the holy hills. I will make myself like the most high God. And God cast him down. And from that day forward, he's been out looking for that which he lost. And that was worship. That's the whole point. He's not really cares. He doesn't care whether Jesus is the Son of God or not. He doesn't care if he can make bread out of stones or not. He doesn't care whether he can fly like Superman or not. What he really wants is Jesus' devotion to him and not to the Father. He'll do anything. The devil's main focus in life is the only way to hurt God is to hurt his children or to steal his sheep. And so the devil says, worship me, Jesus. Worship me. He says, if you'll worship me, all this is yours. And again, Jesus doesn't argue with him. Jesus could have said, who are you fooling? It's mine anyway. Go read Revelation, Satan. In a few more years, Revelation 12, 12 says, the devil knows he's got a short time. He's running out of time and he knows it. 
But Jesus didn't argue with him. He didn't discuss the issue with him. He just said, Satan, get behind me. Don't talk to the devil when temptation comes. Run him off. Whatever it is. Whatever the temptation is in this new year. Just cast it down. We don't have to talk to the devil. The only thing we have to talk to the devil is get thee behind me, Satan. You're under my feet. We had a guest speaker over at our church about a month or two ago. And it was funny. I'd, I'd never thought of it. I'd never seen it in church before. And he says, when he got ready to start service, and start his sermon, he says, I want everybody to take their Bible and hold it up. Sort of like, uh, you remember uh, John Osteen at Lakewood? He, he'd quote that, this is my Bible, this is the Word of God and all that. He went through this little thing. He says, now, shake your Bible in the devil's face. And everybody's doing this. And he says, no. And he, he shakes his Bible way down. He said, the devil's under your feet. He's not up here. And, uh, but I thought that was uh, funny. He wants us to understand. I think he's speaking to us this morning, this new year. That we've got a lot of things in our life that demand our worship. And is stealing it from God. Best thing my wife and I ever did is we disconnected our TV about a year ago. We don't have TV and people think we're crazy. But you know, you can read the Bible a lot more, you can pray a lot more, you can talk to each other a lot more. There's a lot of things you can do without TV. And we got rid of ours. I mean, we still got the TV set, but we, it's not hooked up. But, you know, we, we worship things. You think I'm wrong? Go to this, any sports page on the internet today and look at what's going on in the University of Tennessee in their football program. People worship football. You know, I, was, I had the privilege to be associated with Alcoa's football team when they won the state championship the other day. And I've never in my life been more impressed with a group of young boys. They got a big send-off on that Friday to go to, to the state championship game. And they went, and they won the game, and they came home. Monday morning when, uh, when we got back to class, not one of those boys said a word about football. Not one of them was bragging or talking trash about how good they were or how they did it. They come back to class, and it's back to business as usual. But those boys didn't worship football. They enjoy it. They're good at what they do, but they didn't worship it. And I was really impressed from young boys because you see the difference as the levels go up. There's things in our life that demand our worship. Our family. You know, your family can steal time from you. Your children, your grandchildren. When my granddaughter comes up, my wife will get mad and she loves her grandpa. She won't, she won't play with Grandma. She plays with Grandpa. And I have, from the time I get up until I go to bed, that little girl will not turn loose of me. And that's, I enjoy that. But you can't get nothing done. You can't get nothing done. If I want to study or pray, or I either got to get up early in the morning or stay up late at night. There's things that we worship. 
And I shouldn't, maybe worship's too strong a word, but there's things that we put between God and us that steals our time of worship. And that's what the devil's trying to do to Jesus here. He's trying to, to take that relationship away and say, give that relationship to me. You know, we love our children. We love our families. We all do. I know that. And we love our church. But even church can become, uh, it can become a parasite to us and it can begin to steal our time as well. I know pastors who go through divorces because they spend more time doing stuff than they do seeking God and taking care of family. A lot of real famous pastors are always on the road and are always doing this and are always doing that. And churches expect the pastor to be at the men's fellowship and the Royal Rangers and the missionettes and the, and the board meetings and this and that. And you look at all the things that some bigger churches put on their pastors. It's no wonder that burnout is a big problem. But it doesn't have to be a pastor, just a church member. You let people... Well, why didn't you come to the men's meeting? Why didn't you come to the women's ministry? Why didn't you do this? And you've got church on Sunday and Wednesday, and then you do all that, and you combine it with a couple of meetings and what you've got to do at the house. You have no time for yourself. The Lord wants us to understand this morning that we have to draw a line at some point in our life and say, Lord, I'm going to give you the first part of my day, the last part of my day, when I get up in the morning, if I have to get up early, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to spend time with you before I go into this mess that's called life. And when I go to bed at night, I'm going to take time and say, thank you, Lord, for getting me through this mess called life. And we're going to take time and we're going to give God thanks for all he's done for us. You know, I you know I don't know how you've ever read this temptation, but when I read it this time, it, it was just really a revelation to me of how the devil hit Jesus and how I look at it. And I know I've heard people preach it about the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eyes and all that. But here, this last temptation, Satan's saying, you can be the king without the cross. You've heard that old saying, no pain, no gain. And that's true for Jesus. Without the cross, he would have never been the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Satan said, yeah, you can. You don't have to go to the cross. Just bow down and worship me and this is all yours. And, and you can tell them where to go. And they'll leave you alone. And everybody's going to love you. And the, the Pharisees and the high priests are not going to try to crucify you. You just, you just worship me, Satan. Presented this to the Jesus and then the word says that when Jesus told him, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve, the devil left him. Let me tell you something this morning. You may overcome that temptation today. It'll be back tomorrow. Do you think the devil left Jesus? Absolutely not. Remember Peter? Jesus said that he would have to die. And Peter said, no way, that's not going to happen. What did the Lord tell Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Again, the devil shows up in one of his disciples. Says, no cross, no cross, you don't need it. Throughout his ministry, the Bible says that the devil entered Judas. 
and he coveted with the priest to betray the Lord. We may overcome a temptation today, but it'll be back tomorrow. And it may be back in a different form. And it may come back uh, at a different time. But they'll be here this year. You know, I know the church, you all just recently, uh, Pastor Bunch just resigned. I know that. And so you're going to go through a process of finding a new pastor. I'd ask you this morning, I didn't come over here to, to put on a show for you to pastor. I don't want to be your pastor. But what I want to say is that you're going to make some decisions in the days and weeks ahead about this church. Don't be tempted. Don't be in a hurry. Pray. Seek God's face. Do what He asked you to do. There's nothing worse than doing like Tennessee. You hire a coach and he stays a year and he takes the sheep and he runs. He took half the coaching staff with him. Don't make a bad mistake. You know, you seek and you pray and you you ask God's will for Christian outreach. I know Brother Corder and I've known some of the pastors here before. This is a great church and God loves every one of you and He wants us to make good decisions in the, in the new year. And the, the worst thing that I can think that could possibly happen that would mess up my new year is to be tempted to do something that's going to ruin my relationship with God. And so this morning, if you, don't, if, if you didn't hear anything else I had to say, don't talk to the devil. Don't talk to the devil. Don't even give him room. Don't give place to the devil. James says, run from him and he'll run from you. Resist him. He'll flee. Fight him. You're more than a conqueror when you're in God's will. Don't be like the seven sons of Sceva. You know, jump up and think you can do this and do that and you get spiritually beat up. Stay in the will of God. And the most important point I can leave you with this morning is your spirit, you're not flesh. You may be here on these pews in the flesh, but your spirit. So don't let your carnal man dictate what you're going to do in this new year. You know, whether it's uh, your physical health or spiritual decisions, don't let your man, your carnal man dictate to you what you're going to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us a high priest. He went through every temptation that we went through, and yet he was without sin. And Lord, he never succumbed to any temptation, and he never gave way to any temptation. And he stood strong in the face of the enemy, and he was victorious. And that's why you told us in Philippians that we are more than conquerors. Father, we love you. Paul told us in Corinthians that thanks be to God that gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, in the days and weeks ahead, Christian Outreach is going to be praying and seeking your face in the spiritual future uh, leadership. And Lord, I pray that you give them divine wisdom, divine revelation. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you give them a, a pastor who a, has a heart for you. 
not looking for a political or, a, or a, an ecclesiastical position, but he's looking for a place where he can uh, love and be loved, and Lord God, where he can shepherd and do what's required of him. Father, you said the gifts of God are without repentance. Those that are truly called of you, Lord God, you'll make them known to this congregation. Bless the board with divine revelation. Bless each member, Lord God. I pray, Lord, this morning that your hands are upon each one. Father God, in the times ahead, we know that there's going to have to be decisions and choices made. And Father, your word says that the Holy Spirit will lead them and he'll guide them. You've got a plan to bring Christian outreach to an expected end. And that all things work together for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And I know this church loves you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.